Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin this evening, 877-381-3811, wherever you're listening in this great country of ours, whether it's uh, afternoon drive time on KRLA in Los Angeles, or the evening drive, 6 to 9 on WMAL in my home station, Washington, D.C., or anywhere in between and all over the place on the web. It is Larry O'Connor. It's Mark Levin's show this very special week between Christmas and New Year's. It's special because, well, we get a chance to sort of, you know, take off our shoes, put them up on the desk, reflect on the year that was, and uh, frankly, more importantly, look forward to the year that's about to be. I-, I think the gods give us a somewhat slow news cycle in talk radio this week just so we can sit back and say, wow, what in God's name just happened? And, and how could we do it better next year? And that's what we intend to talk about, although there is a lot going on in our lives right now as we speak, including the Title 42 provisions of the border that will remain despite the Biden administration's demands that it be lifted. Let's just repeat that for a moment. The Biden administration this week once again demanded that the Supreme Court allow them to lift any kind of medical prohibition of people coming from foreign lands that are not up to snuff with their virus containment so that they can continue to flood even more across the border than they already have been in this record-breaking year of illegal crossings. The Biden administration wants to keep the border broken. And they even went as far as to demand it from the Supreme Court this week. Thank God. They were shot down again, and and at least some provisions can stay in place. But I want to reiterate and repeat what I've said. You heard me say it last week when I was filling in for the great one. Uh, You hear me say it all the time if you read my columns at Town Hall or watch my television show on Salem News Network or listen to my morning radio program on WMAL in Washington, D.C. We don't need Title 42 to enforce our southern border. The laws are in place now. The laws have been passed by Congress. They've been signed by prior presidents. They are in place now. Donald Trump's sin, his his xenophobic, racist, anti-Mexican sin when he became president of the United States was merely to enforce the laws as written right now on the books in the United States of America. This Title 42 thing is an important fight, I suppose, just because it's a tool that the Border Patrol can utilize to try to create some order out of the chaos inflicted on the good people of the border states of the United States by this president and his feckless and effective vice president, our border czar. But it's not actually necessary. If you've got a president who runs an administration with the will to actually enforce our laws as written, the border would be secure. That's all you need. We, we always hear this all the time. Well, we need comprehensive immigration reform before we can secure the border. Oh, I'm more than willing to enforce our laws, but what we got to do is change the laws first. Don't you love that? The border is broken. It's chaos. We've got people flooding across our border 
We've got crime waves. We've got states and cities down on those border states that are being drained of resources and and uh, finances because of the burden that is coming across that. But I don't blame the people. I mean, I blame the people in terms of not respecting our laws. But let's face it. Uh, let's face it. And, you know, everybody wants to. Can we just pause for a minute here? Yeah, I'll, I'll remember where I was. I'll pick up. Let's just be clear here. If there's a stretch of highway in your state that you travel every day and the state highway patrol, the county sheriff, and the local police have declared to every driver that they will not enforce the speed limit on that stretch of highway, anyone who breaks the speed limit on that stretch of highway will get away scot-free. You go one mile above 65 mile per hour, we don't care. Oh, sure, the signs are still there. The sign says 65 miles per hour. There may even be a sign that says that our speed limits are strictly enforced in this state, in this county, in this city. But the, but the police at every level, and even the government, the governor of your state has said, hey, this stretch of highway right here, these 20 miles of highway, go for it. Oh, we, the law is there, but we're not going to enforce that speed limit. Now, let me ask you something. You're driving that stretch of highway every day to get to and from work? You gonna you gonna keep it at sixty five? Are you gonna you gonna put the pedal to the metal? You're gonna speed and get the hammer down, aren't you? You're gonna go. You're, in fact, I bet you you're gonna test the limits. Is oh come on, surely they're gonna pull me over if I'm doing ninety, and they don't. You zip right past a cop that he just waves at, just salutes, keeps munching on his donut. I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge him eating the donut. Eat your donut. God knows you don't need to pull over. He's just there to monitor things, you know, make sure there's no reckless driving. Make sure, you know, if there's an accident, he's there to take names, take some pictures, set it up for the insurance company, right? But, but the cops that are on that stretch of highway, they're just going to wave at you as you go by, go in 80, go in 90. It's all been announced to the world. That law will not be enforced. The law is on the books. You are breaking the law, but it will not be enforced. You're going to try 100 one day? Why wouldn't you? You got a nice new car. Hell, you may even rent a muscle car for the day just to stretch it out. Just to, just to, all right, let's go 120. What the hell? It's a straightaway. It's flat. This is the Audubon. It's like the Audubon in Indiana, for crying out loud. I'm just picking a flat state. I'm sorry, Indiana. You would break that law, and you know it, because the police have communicated to you that they won't enforce it, and the governor has communicated that he won't enforce it. So if that's the case, and there's a horrible accident, do you blame the guy who went 100 miles an hour? I mean, ultimately, it is his fault, sure. You're responsible for your own personal personal actions. I get that. But the problem was started by the government. The problem was started by having a government announce to the world that the law will not be enforced. Now, are the people who are crossing our border illegally, are they responsible? Are they to blame? Well, sure, yes, they're responsible for their own behavior. But the real fault for the chaos is from our president communicating to the world that that law won't be enforced. 
his predecessor announced to the world during the campaign leading up to the presidency in 2016, oh, you bet your butt we're going to enforce that law. Not only are you going to enforce that law, but there's a law written on the books that says the executive branch must secure the border with a barrier, with a fence, with a wall, and we're going to do that. We're finally going to fulfill that law that was passed over 10 years ago, is what Donald Trump said. And it's remarkable what happened. People stopped trying to come especially after the Remain in Mexico policy was put in place. And now you've got a Biden administration that is not only looking to ignore the law down there, but they fought as late as this week after getting the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice John Roberts to actually put a stay on what would have been a court order to lift that Title 42 mandate. They actually appealed that and tried to get it lifted so we could, so we could have more chaos in Texas and Arizona. And I want to reiterate, Title 42 is not necessary. But all you hear from the left, all you hear from the Chamber of Commerce types, all you hear from the people who actually benefit from cheap labor that they can exploit coming across the border, or that they can exploit for votes or political support, all you hear is, oh, well, we we need need new legislation to fix our immigration. Let me ask you something. Honestly, any, anybody on the left who continues to parrot that, what exactly is broken about our immigration system? Honestly, tell me what's broken about it. And, and number one, and number two, how does what you believe is broken about our immigration system directly relate to securing our border? And I know every, everybody says, oh, well, we'll secure the border, but we do have to fix our immigration system. Why are the two related? I don't see our border as actually being part and parcel to our immigration policies. Border security, when you really boil it down, fundamentally is a very different issue. How you deal with someone trying to enter your country to be a legal immigrant or legal resident on the path to citizenship is, is frankly, completely irrelevant to whether you secure your border or not. Whether you have laws in place regulating who can come in and when and under what conditions. Once you decide, oh, well, this is how we're going to secure our border, and this is where and how and when people can enter our country, and these are the conditions under, we, under which we will allow it, then you can put together an immigration policy that deals with those people as they come in. But the two are not necessarily directly related. Only on the left do you relate those two. Only on the left do you connect those two. Because they think it sounds so nice. And the media never challenges it. The media will never say exactly what you heard me say. And when you think about it now, now that, you've, now that you've thought a second time and thought a different way about this, you realize how empty and hollow and baseless the rhetoric is that you hear from, from elected officials and from politicians and from the media. Well, border security has to be tied to fundamental immigration reform. Why? Secure the border, period, full stop, end of conversation. Secure the border. Now, you want to have a separate conversation about what our immigration policy is, about those people who we do allow to enter our country? Fine, we can have that conversation. But there is no way that those two things are related. Unless, unless this is a hostage situation. Unless this is blackmail. Unless you're trying to use the chaos at our border to achieve your political goals.
I'll give I'll give you a, a, a an, an analogy that hopefully will make sense. You know, it's holiday week. I've been drinking the champagne, getting ready for New Year's. I have no idea. It might not make sense. Imagine if Obama, when he was trying to push his national health care plan, his Obamacare, his Affordable Care Act, which, by the way, now that we've had it in place for almost 12 years, I hope we all realize, don't we? Do we agree? Nothing affordable about health care after the Affordable Care Act. It's like the, it's like the Inflation Reduction Act. It had nothing to do with reducing inflation. And the Affordable Care Act had nothing to do with making care affordable. It's amazing how that works. Imagine if Obama had said, yeah, we probably should secure the border, but, but the only way we can really secure the border is if we can fundamentally reform our, our health care system in America. It, it, is, it, is, it is just as analogous is refusing and then you say okay well let's do this let's do this i'll tell you what all right i i hear you republicans i hear you conservatives i hear you everybody who wants a secure border i'll tell you what let's put everything on the table you bring your plan for a secure border i'll bring my plan for nationalized health care and we'll work it out you'll get something i'll get something and everything will be fine that's what they're doing here and 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 imagine that politician, Obama in this case, imagine that politician saying, yeah, we can't do anything. We can't do anything about the border. We refuse to do anything about the border. We're not going to do anything on the border until the Republicans meet us at the table and discuss nationalized health care. That's exactly what you're hearing from this administration, from the Democrats, with regard to the border right now. You know, oh, we'd love to do something more about the border, but the problem is Republicans won't meet with us about uh, amnesty and fixing our immigration system. And yet here we are. And the second you realize that the two are not actually in any way related, un un except if you force yourself to make it related, then you'll get it. Oh, hey, you know, people who enter this country illegally and then they get sick or they get injured, they're going to need health care and they don't have any insurance, so we got to do something about health care before we fix the border. that it's 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 as related health, nationalized health care is as related to border security as immigration reform is related to border security they're all lying to you they're lying to you and it's a hostage situation as things get worse and worse and worse and worse this Biden administration their spokespeople and this Democrat party will just continue to say the same thing yeah it's not going to get any better Unless we unless we meet and talk about immigration reform, unless we meet and talk about amnesty, you give me what I want and then maybe we'll secure the border. Of course, we know now that they won't secure the border, even if they get what they want. It's been decades now. Going all the way back to the late 80s with Ronald Reagan, when he was promised, he he agreed. OK, fine. You get your amnesty. We'll give you your amnesty back in the late 80s. We'll give you your amnesty in exchange for securing the border. That was the deal that Ronald Reagan entered into. How's that secure border looking? How's that secure border looking? So this is not about keeping our borders secure, and it's not about fundamental immigration reform. Ultimately, it's about political power. Everything from the left is about political power. And I'm just curious from you, if you think this new Republican Congress will actually have the cojones to say what I just said and actually hold these people's feet to the fire. Uh, they talk about impeaching the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, I, I had a congressman on my show the other day in Washington, D.C. I said, so, so you want to impeach Mayorkas? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mayorkas needs to be impeached. Why? Oh, because he's failed at the border, 
and he's lied about it, and the border's a disaster, and he's ruining the country, and he's an ineffective, completely incompetent Secretary of Homeland Security. So we got to impeach him. And I said, aha, interesting. Can I just ask you something, Congressman? Um, based on that criteria, if that's reason to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, then why wouldn't we impeach Joe Biden for the exact same thing? After all, Mayorkas is just carrying out Biden's policies. There was a little, little bit of silence there after that question, because they don't want to touch that. Uh, what say you? 877-381-3811. Will your new Republican majority in the House have the cojones to actually do something on the border issue? A winning issue for Republicans. I want to hear from you. 877-381-3811. It's Larry O'Connor in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. As, as, as the great Rush Limbaugh used to say, not enough time to be fair to another caller. But I see you, Rick, in New Jersey and Edwin in California. I'm going to get to you after the break here, 877-381-3811. As we reveal a basic fundamental truth about the border and about the fact that Biden, Kamala Harris, and the entire Democrat Party, they they don't want to do anything about the border. They're going to give it lip service this year because we're heading into a, a presidential season. Now, they'll give it lip service. And I know that we saw this floated story out there. This was leaked. Did you see? Oh, Joe Biden was so angry. He was throwing around F words at his staff about the disaster at the border. Oh, bull. By the that's 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 a leaked story for the purpose, an, an anonymously leaked story, probably by Ron Klass, the uh, Ron Klain, the chief of staff of the White House to try to spin a narrative that Biden actually gives a flip about the border, which he doesn't. Joe Biden has only cared about one thing his entire 50-year political career, the personal advancement of Joe Biden, his political career, and his financial well-being, thanks to his political career. That's all. And if the border helps with that, so be it. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. 
When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. It's uh, this is it. I mean, New Year's Eve is this weekend. We got today and tomorrow, the last working days, real days, weekdays of 2022. And we're going to spend some time sort of uh, not just looking back on the year because everybody does that. Oh, what's the best of and the worst of, of 2022? Hey, give us a call. What do you say? No, I mean, come on. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I'm kind of a Reagan Republican. I always like to be optimistic and I always like to look forward. Oh, sure. We should learn from the past. Absolutely. But but I'm looking at a 2022 right now where even with the slimmest of three, four, five seat majority in the House of Representatives, it's a game changer for business as usual for the Democrats and Biden. And I, I, listen, I know there's a lot of cynics out there. Oh, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell might as well be Democrats. I know there's a lot of you out there. I, 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 I By the way, I'm sympathetic. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment. At its core, I mean, let me put it this way. It's hard to make the case that a Republican-led Senate would be any different than a Democrat-led Senate when you've got 17 Republicans voting for that atrocity of an omnibus bill. Right? Uh, honestly, it, my, I would love to. Does Mitch McConnell do interviews anymore? Does Mitch McConnell even answer questions anymore unless he knows it's somebody who's going to, you know, give him a, a full body massage? I would love to ask Mitch McConnell one thing one question i'd even let him know ahead of time i'll give him the question now and he can think about it or have his staff think about it and and tweet the answer if you want because actually his twitter presence is pretty funny i mean i don't know if mitch mcconnell is even aware of it but the people who run his twitter usually are pretty funny it's one question based on the vote for the omnibus bill based on the vote that mitch mcconnell just engineered in a lame duck session of the senate bailing out Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, whipping 16 other Republicans to vote for this thing. Based on that vote, that action, how would a Republican Senate bill funding our government be any different? I'll rephrase the question. Why should voters vote for a Mitch McConnell majority in the Senate? versus a Chuck Schumer majority in the Senate, given the fact that we just worked with them to pass that bill. What is the reason for a Republican majority in the Senate? Simple question. I I defy the McConnell team to come up with an answer. Well, it wouldn't be as bad if we were in charge. Really? Then why did you vote for this at all? Well, it's the responsible thing to do. Really, we've had continuing resolutions for as far as the eye can see for the last couple of years. So suddenly you're responsible with two weeks left in the session when Nancy is about to lose power over in the House and we might actually be able to influence something? Well, we didn't want to get blamed for a government shutdown. Please.
So I, I'm right there with you in being cynical and angry about the direction that the leadership in Washington, D.C. takes under the guise of Republican, the Republican Party and the Republican principles and ideals. I get it. I hear you. I'm not here to make an excuse or defend any politician, let alone the ones who find themselves in leadership of our parties in Congress. But I will say this. Having the slimmest of majority in the House means at least two things happen. Number one, Biden can't get whatever he wants. And number two, we now run the committees and the investigations. And for my money, you could even throw away number one right now. And I'm a happy man. Provided the Republicans step up and actually deliver what they said they were going to deliver. And that is investigations on a whole host of items. And in the Judiciary Committee, it will be led by Jim Jordan of Ohio. And uh, coupled with the conversation we just began about the border... And the necessity for a secure border for any nation to be able to define themselves as a nation. And how fundamentally, if you really think about it, securing the border is completely divorced from the concept of immigration policy. Other than you have to walk through the appointed space in the border to then trigger whatever the immigration policy is. But the two do not have to be related in any way whatsoever. And if you want proof of that, go to any airport in America and fly in from a foreign country. You'll see there's there's only one way to get in our country when you land on an airplane. And you have to walk past somebody in a uniform and prove that you are who you say you are and explain what you're doing and why you're there. And if you're coming from a country that has a red flag on it, you're going to have trouble getting in. If you don't have a built-in visa, you're going to have trouble getting in. If you're just there on a tourist visa or a student visa, well, you'll get in. And then you'll be violating the law if you stay. And, well, of course, we have no enforcement on, 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 on overstaying a tourist visa because, well, we haven't decided that that's a priority in our country. But there's still one place to walk through. It's not like the desert down in Texas and Arizona or New Mexico that is getting breached on a regular basis. When, when Trump said that he wanted to build a wall on our southern border, he should have just said, I want to make it as secure as every airport right now. When you, when you arrive from a foreign land and try to enter our country through an airport, we have walls. I would like to make our southern border as secure as every airport in America when people arrive from a foreign country. If you think walls are bad on our border, then why are you in favor of walls at your airport? It's moronic, moronic, infantile arguments against that. The Republicans, when Republicans are called xenophobes and racists for wanting to secure the border, and their immediate response is, I am not a racist, they've already lost the argument. Well, you're xenophobic and you're a racist and you're unchristian to want to secure the border. Really, why are you so xenophobic, racist, and unchristian for wanting to secure your airports? What's literally what is the difference? Than someone flying here from Guatemala, landing at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and going through a series of passageways surrounded by very high walls, 
forcing every single person who just got off that plane to go through one point of entry and have a face-to-face conversation with an officer protecting our border. In this case, the border in an airport. I'm not racist. No, no, no. If I'm racist, you're racist because you want to secure our airports. Jerk. That's how that conversation goes. So coupled with our conversation that we just initiated about the border and the fact that we have now a new Republican majority promising to impeach Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, I'd like to expand the conversation into other investigations and other committees that need to be instituted in the House starting on day one. I I love that the big conversation on your favorite conservative cable news network or other talk radio shows and talk radio stations is who's going to be the Speaker of the House. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care. I truly don't care. People don't like Kevin McCarthy. I don't care. People think he's not going to be a good speaker. I don't care. People think he's going to be a great speaker and he deserves to have it because I don't care. Why is it we suddenly think that whoever the Speaker of the House is in some way defines the party? Why suddenly does everybody think that the, the, the fundamental job of the Speaker of the House is to show up on a, a Sunday morning show for the networks and talk to George Stephanopoulos and, and really nail him with an answer to a question? Why do you think the job of the Speaker of the House is to show up on cable news and give a great interview with your favorite primetime cable news host? That's not the job of the Speaker. I don't care who the speaker is. I care who the committee chairman are. I care what their agendas are. I care that Jim Comer is going to be in charge of the oversight committee. I care that Jim Jordan is going to be in charge of the judiciary committee. I care that Jim Comer and Jim Jordan showed up at a press conference three days after it was confirmed that they had the majority. Actually, forgive me. It was three days after the election. It was the day it was confirmed they had the majority in the House. And they said, yep, Hunter Biden's laptop is on the table. Let's go. I don't care who the speaker is. Matt Gates can be the speaker. That investigation goes forward. Kevin McCarthy can be the speaker. That investigation goes forward. That's what needs to happen. And while everybody's looking over here as well, who's going to have the gavel? Who's going to have the gavel? I don't care. Why do you care? I, in fact, if you'd like to tell me why you care, I'd love to hear it. 877-381-3811. Why do you care if Kevin McCarthy is the speaker or not? Why does that matter to you? Honestly, I'm, I'm open. I'm willing to hear your opinion. You might change my mind. We should all be willing to change our mind. Is Kevin McCarthy an inspiring leader? Is he an inspiring orator? Does he personify every conservative value that you've held dear since you first saw your Ronald Reagan video on YouTube, if you're that young? No. So what? I hate to break this to you. Have you, have you met any congressmen in your lifetime? I, I, and again, maybe this is I'm jaded because I live in Washington, D.C., so the congressmen are around a lot, always hanging out. Honestly, there are very few of them that are impressive individuals. 
And yet suddenly everybody is like, this is live or die. This is all we're going to. Honestly, I, I don't care who the speaker is. Let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with it. Last I checked, I think McCarthy now has the support of all but five or ten Republicans in the caucus. I know this is an unpopular position. Trust me, I am well aware that the most popular conservative talk radio hosts are the ones that go, you're damn right McCarthy doesn't deserve that gavel. And those five who were standing in the way of keeping them from getting the gavel, they're American patriotic heroes, and they should do whatever it takes to bleed on the floor of the House to keep him from getting it. I actually, I have heard people, eh, is, it a, is it a radio host or a podcaster? There is a big difference, I assure you. I think there's a podcast where I say, even if it means voting for Nancy Pelosi to be speaker, it's better than having Kevin McCarthy. See, that's possibility. You realize that, right? See, the full House votes on speaker, and all the Democrats are going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. And you could, you could have like six Republicans say, yeah, we'll vote for Nancy Pelosi too. And she could be the speaker. That could happen. Theoretically. See, now there I would care <laughs> if you were the speaker again. Because the speaker does help set the agenda. The speaker helps uh, determine who's going to be the committee chairman. The speaker has an important job, but I don't think it's the job that most people think it is which is to some way be a shadow president. So listen, if, if this matters to you, and you're like, yeah, we're ruined if Kevin McCarthy's the speaker, I'd love to hear from you. Because frankly, I've already passed that. I'm already past that. I want to know who the chairman are going to be. I want to know what the agenda is. I want to know what their budgets are. I want to know how big their staffs are. I want to know how big their staffs for investigations are. And I want Jordan and Comer to go. And I want an investigation of the FBI and their involvement with Twitter and other social media platforms during the 2020 presidential election. I want an investigation of the FBI writ large and how politicized it is. And why is it there's been so many anonymous leaks coming out of the Justice Department of the FBI? I want an investigation into the leak of the Dobbs decision out of the Supreme Court that everyone's supposed to have forgotten about by now. And yes, I want an impeachment process, not just for the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, but if it is determined that he should be impeached because of his failure on the border, then I want someone to tell me why that doesn't apply to President Joe Biden as well. That's what I'm interested in. But if you're really hung up on the fact that Kevin McCarthy might be the speaker, I'll hear you. Let's hear you. 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Folks, our friends at Hillsdale College wish you and yours a happy and blessed Christmas and a healthy and prosperous New Year. Since Hillsdale's founding in 1844, it's taught its students by precept and example the teachings and practices of the Christian faith. The college continues the mission in its classrooms and nationwide through its educational outreach efforts. So this Christmas season, my friends at Hillsdale want to thank you, dear listener, for your kindness toward the college. They prepared a special video featuring their sacred music choir singing O Little Town of Bethlehem in their beautiful Christ Chapel at the heart of the campus. When you visit hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, that's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas, you can see and hear the choir and view many other free resources to help you celebrate the season. I promise it'll be uplifting and inspiring for you and your family. That's hillsdale.edu slash Christmas. 
I keep saying 877-381-3811. We got some gremlins in the phone lines today. I'm guessing it's uh, Joe Biden's orders as he left to go to St. Croix. He said, you know, make sure that we jam the lines and uh, keep O'Connor from taking calls tonight on Live In. But we're working on it. If you're trying to get in, stay there. We'll get to you when we can. Yeah, what do you think of Biden heading off to St. Croix? Boy, talk about oh, just Joe from Scranton, huh? Good old Joe from Scranton, just regular guy. Christmas time. Here we got Americans suffering the aftermath of one of the worst blizzards and cold spells we've had in decades. People dead in Buffalo from the snowdrifts and other parts of the country. We got Americans stranded all across the country because of the debacle of Southwest Airlines. We're going to get into the details of that Southwest thing coming up in a bit in our next hour. We got Americans stranded everywhere in this country over the holidays, over the course of the holidays, because of Southwest. And here's Joe Biden saying, see you later, Jack. I'm going to St. Croix. Heading down there to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Staying in a giant beachfront mansion provided to him for free by a major Democrat Party donor. Uh, You know, he's just Joe from Scranton. He never made a thin dime when he was a senator. He's just a public servant. He's just he's a man of the people. That Joe Biden. And yet you will actually have people who still believe this about this guy. I'll say this for him. At least he's not really pretending. I mean, I mean, he is when he talks. But I mean, I, I listen, Joe Biden's recognized the fact that, all right, listen, I'm president. I got I got maybe another year if uh, probably going to bounce me out of here sometime next year. Make way for Kamala and Gavin Newsom. And uh, so what the hell? Let's go to St. Croix. Does Amtrak go to St. Croix? He's heading down to the Virgin Islands. What's remarkable to me is you don't hear a whole lot of snarky sniping over there on MSNBC about it. Shocking. I thought this was something that really bothered them. It's almost like they have a double standard. It's almost like they're hypocrites. Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin, today. Thanks for uh, letting me along on your journey, whether it's in L.A. on KRLA, the fine, mighty KRLA. 870 AM in my old hometown of Los Angeles or on 105.9 FM WMAL in the nation's capital. My radio station now where I do the morning show every single day from five to nine. It's America's morning show Uh, and everywhere in between. I'm really glad that you uh, allow me to be a part of your afternoon and evening as you motor about trying to get ready for your new year. 
We're having a blast here talking about what we should expect from this upcoming Republican majority in the House. And again, want to just reiterate whether it's a five seat majority or 50 seat majority. Ultimately, it really doesn't make a difference. I'll explain that in a minute. But just trust me, it's true. Uh, the only the only thing you're getting with your majority right now that's going to make any difference is Chairman Jim Jordan and Chairman James Comer. That's it. And some other chairman will be good as well. And uh, if they follow the lead of their colleagues, Mr. Jordan and Mr. Comer, uh, we should have a pretty interesting year, especially setting the table for a presidential election year in 2024. Uh, I spoke quite a bit in the first hour there about uh, immigration and about that you're being lied to right now, not just by the Democrats, not just by the media, but some Republicans as well. Well, we need to do something about these DACA people. Comprehensive immigration reform, and that'll fix the border. They have nothing to do with each other. You have comprehensive immigration reform, whatever that means, that includes amnesty. The only thing you're going to do is increase the people who are crossing the border right now illegally. Border security is completely unrelated. You can secure the border without passing one single piece of legislation right now. But there's no will to do it. This administration refuses to do it. That's the bottom line. Whether you have this Title 42 in place right now, which is one tool that the Border Patrol can use, but you don't even need it. You don't need it. We were able to secure the border before COVID. Title 42 is related to COVID. You don't need it. So what's really at play with the border? Why won't they secure the border? Is it really cheap labor? Is it to punish the Republican states on the border? Is it to let as many people in here illegally so you can groom them to become voters? You know, I, I don't know if that's really working out for them, actually, considering most polls show that uh, Hispanic Americans and uh, first, first generation immigrants coming from south of the border are actually leaning more conservative right now. What's it really all about? Chris in California. Chris uh, wants to jump in here at 877-381-3811. Let's try it, Chris. You're going to be a first caller if our system is working now. Thanks for calling. Awesome. So I might be taking this a little bit too simply, but in my mind, if you don't have border security, you cannot have immigration reform because you don't even have an immigration policy. It doesn't matter what you want to say your policy is. If you have an open border anywhere, it could be circumvented. Therefore, you have no policy. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's another reason why they're completely unrelated. Absolutely. In fact, it's it's the typical cart before the horse. You can't reform immigration and still have everybody flooding across the border. Or as I the, the example I gave is flooding into the airport. It's like have you ever flown internationally, Chris, and come into this country in an airport? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you come in, is it you, you get off the plane and yes, everybody can go wherever they want. You just walk wherever you want. You go right out to the street and uh, grab a cab and just drive wherever you want. No. You have to walk through. It's like a maze. It's like a rat trap. It's like you're standing in line for Space Mountain at Disneyland. You got you got to go exactly where they tell you, and there's no breaching the the corridors that they put you in. In fact, it's all formed by what? By super high walls that you cannot breach and you cannot bust through. And if you try to bust through those walls, you're looking at time in jail. Why is that okay at an airport and not on our southern border? It's absolutely not okay. As a matter of fact, Disneyland has better border security of its property than we do as a country. That is correct. And in Orlando, at Disney World, they literally have crocodiles in the moats.
No, Gators. Excuse me. Chris, uh, is California lost? I got I haven't lived in California for 10 years, but I love California. Uh, you're still there. Why are you still there? I actually came back because my father was sick, and I came back from another state, and people thought it was the craziest thing ever. Yeah. And California is being run over, not only by bad decisions, but homelessness and bureaucracy it's you you can't they can't spend enough money to actually make anything better yeah. because they've been spending tons of money and it's only getting progressively worse it's a losing cause and gavin newsom wants to nationalize it by as president of the united states all right my brother happy new year to you thanks for calling in that's chris in california see it's good to know that it's working <laughs> Uh, he is absolutely right. By the way, you heard him say it's, it's the great buzzword in California, homelessness. You hear it all the time. This is another way the, the left wins at language control, by, by creating a word that actually loses the, the legitimate meaning of, of plenty of words that already covered the situation. Homelessness. Why do we call this homeless? Homelessness means that you're an individual that is just without a home. That's all. You're a person without a home, so you're a homeless person. Now, it's fascinating. You know, you can be homeless and you can live in a car because you have a car or in a camper. Or you can be homeless and you can live on people's sofas. I'll tell you something. For a little while in my life, I, I had to crash on somebody's sofa for a couple of weeks until I got back up on my feet. Anybody? I'm sure many of you have gone through that. Hey, can I crash here for just, you know, a couple of months? Can I crash in your spare bedroom? I got to reset here. Got to get back on my feet, right? Nah, granted, I understand not everybody has a support system like that. Also, uh, not everybody uh, was like me when I needed to crash on somebody's sofa. Um, I was clean and sober. And I didn't have major severe other mental health issues going on in my life. And let's face it, if you do, if you're an addict and you've got mental health issues or if you're a criminal, it's harder to find somebody to let you crash on their sofa, right? But see, those are all people who are homeless, what I described. The people who are living on the streets in California, the people who are living on the streets and demand to be able to live on a public sidewalk or in a private parking lot or in a public park that used to be inhabited by children, and now it's infested by addicts and by people with mental health issues and by prostitutes and by drug dealers who are living in tents, Those people, there was always a term for those people. It didn't have, it wasn't homeless. My good friend Chris in California, who just called in, he's not my good friend, but I'm going to call him my good friend. He just said, oh, yeah, the homeless problem here is terrible in California. Okay, you call it that. You know what I'll call it? Criminal vagrancy. Just like the border. Oh, we need to have more laws here to deal with the homeless problem. No, actually, you've got the laws on the books right now. In fact, we've had these laws on the books really since the dawn of Western civilization, where we realized it was incredibly unsafe and unsanitary to let people live on the streets in their own filth. For, for, for centuries, we have outlawed this behavior because it's, it's, it's unhealthy for the citizenry, for the sanitary conditions in any major urban center. And it's also not good for the individuals. We human beings, we need shelter. It's not good for us to be living out exposed to the elements, 
even in beautiful, sunny Southern California. And so we've had laws on the books. Some of these laws are as old as the Magna Carta. Criminal vagrancy. Look it up. You live in California right now. Go check out your state statutes against criminal vagrancy. Look in your local county, in your local city. Do we have a law against criminal vagrancy? The answer is yes. The police see you sleeping on a park bench. They see you pitching a tent in a, in a park or a playground that is meant for children. You're arrested or you're cited for criminal vagrancy. And you're told to move along. And if you don't move along, you're arrested. That's how you enforce laws in a society. The laws are already there. Do you, do you notice the trend here? Well, we can't do anything about the border until we fix immigration. No, actually, you've got the laws right now. You're refusing to enforce them. Well, we can't do anything about this homeless crisis. We've got to pass some more laws and spend more money. No, actually, you've got the laws on the books right now. It just takes the will to enforce the law. It's amazing to me how many Democrats and, yes, a handful of Republicans, it's amazing how much time and effort they spend to win an election, to get into office, either an executive position, you know, be it a, a governor or a mayor or, or a president, or as a legislator, you know, city councilman, county supervisor, State legislator, congressman, they spend all this time and all this money and all this effort. It's the most important thing in their life. They're even willing to cheat in an election to get that job. And then once they get the job, the last thing they want to do is actually enforce the laws that have been passed in the jurisdiction that they just won the election for. I want to be your mayor so I can ignore the laws that have already been passed. I want to be the governor of California so we can just look the other way when our laws are broken. It would be revolutionary for somebody to run for mayor in a city in California. Actually, I'm talking about California right now. You could talk about any major city in America right now. Because the left has infiltrated every major city. The, I, I, the last I checked, the biggest major American city that has a Republican mayor, I think, is Jacksonville, Florida. I'm sorry if I'm getting it wrong. Before that, it was San Diego. And by the way, when, when there was a Republican mayor of San Diego, it was the only major city in California that did not have the criminal vagrant problem that you saw in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Sacramento. Because that mayor enforced the law. Kevin Falconer. He enforced the law. He said, okay, we got laws on the books. You can't live on the street. You can sleep. I know everyone's going to say, oh, there's a Supreme Court decision. No, the, the Supreme Court decision said that you can't criminalize sleeping in a public area. Now, if you don't know the difference between sleeping on a street or on a park bench or living, then I'm sorry, we can't have a conversation. Sleeping in a public place is very different than pitching a tent, setting up a fireplace, and living daily in the exact same spot using a five-gallon jug that you've stolen from the sidewalk that someone had left out so that the Arrowhead or Sparklets man can come and replace the bottled water in the water cooler, and you're using that bottle to store your urine. 
That's not just sleeping on the streets. That is living on the streets. It is urinating on the streets. It's defecating on the streets. In some cases, it's fornicating on the streets. In some cases in California, many cases, sadly, in Los Angeles, it's fornicating for money on the streets in front of businesses that pay taxes. It would be revolutionary for somebody to run for a mayor of a city in California with one, just one policy goal. Elect me and I will enforce our laws against criminal vagrancy. That's it. I'm not going to I'm not going to answer any other questions about any other policy. That is my one agenda. You want to know what my campaign position is? My website will have one page, not two pages, one for donations because you know, you got to you got to get the donations. And the other page will say this, make me your mayor and I will direct the police to enforce our laws against criminal vagrancy. Oh, but you got to have a place for somebody to sleep. You need a shelter. Now, I don't actually have to. No. Now, I will work with private organizations, with churches, with some drug rehab centers. If they want to work and have a public-private partnership, we can come up with something that says, okay, if you don't want to be arrested, then we'll give you a shelter, but you got to get clean. You can't bring booze in there. You can't bring drugs in there. you got to shower. You got to burn the clothes you're living, uh, wearing right now. We've got some, vol- you know, some donated clothes that you can wear, and this is not a permanent place for you to live. Every single day, you have to go out and you need to try to get a job. And if you don't know how to get a job, all right, fine. We'll have a private-public partnership with some churches, with some nonprofits. They'll give you job training. But there's an end date here. Now, if you don't want that deal, you move to the next city. I assure you, the mayor of that city over there is not going to enforce the laws like we will. But here, we're going to enforce those laws. You will not be allowed to live on the street. You will not be allowed to urinate or defecate or fornicate on our streets. I'm the mayor now. I'm enforcing that law. You want to walk 20 miles or take the bus? In fact, we'll even give you the bus fare. You can go to the neighboring city where they look the other way. Now, I ask you, which city is going to have more homeless? The city with me as mayor enforcing that one law that's already on the books. Don't need the city council to pass a dang thing. It's already there. Which city is going to have more homeless? My city or the next city over? And that's how you do it. Do you notice the trend? We could actually restore order to this country and have it be a very livable place if we just merely enforce the laws that have already been passed. It's Larry O'Connor in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, 
you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Matt, love that. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Matt. I'm Larry. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I just wondered why everybody on the right is talking about California, what a terrible place it is when we have one of the strongest economies in the whole world, much less this country. And the five poorest states in this country are all run by Republicans. Yeah. Uh, and so, well, yeah, no, that's actually true. No, so I mean, no, Matt, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fight. disputing that. I'm, I'm just kind of oh, sort of muttering no, at the fact no. that you look at everything through a Marxist perspective. It's got to have to do with wealth. I guess there's one uh, response I can give you quickly, you Matt, because we don't have a whole lot of time. And that is, uh, uh, if if that's the case, then why, for the first time in its history, do we now have three years in a row where people have left California? Your population is decreasing, Matt. People are leaving the state. Are they just stupid? They're crazy. They're conservative. Hello, Matt. Yeah, did Hello? you hear me, Matt? Yeah, I'm right. here. Yeah, we got a problem. Go ahead. Why I'm are here. people leaving your state, Matt? I'm, I'm here. You just put me on hold. Don't be yelling at me like that. I'm not yelling at you. Why are people leaving your state? Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Real fast, because I didn't have enough time to explain. Uh, it, it, you hear this all the time. You know, I, I said nothing about the wealth of California, about the per capita income, about the median income. Um, by the way, even though, yes, the numbers are there, it's the highest GDP. Per capita GDP, it's not as strong as some other states. But uh, you also have the highest cost of living and the highest cost of housing, Um in the state of California, but but ultimately, I I made no arguments at all about about the health of California and the quality of life in California based on how much money you make and how much money the state brings in. It, it's it's a typical Marxist argument to say, "What are you talking about? California is great. We're the wealthiest state in the country." So what? Not everything in this world is measured by economics and by wealth. I hear this all the time. You know, the five poorest states in the country are, are led by Republicans. Yeah, I'll tell you something. 
I'm, I'm, I'm actually celebrating the holidays at my, uh, my in-laws home in Oklahoma. I've been in Oklahoma all week. Oklahoma, a red state. It's not the wealthiest. It's not the poorest. It's about middle of the road. I don't see the problems here that I see in other states. I, you, you want, what would you rather do? Would you rather live in a town in the wealthiest state in the country where your local park, right down the street from where you live, where you like to walk your kids every day and go swing on the swing sets and play on the slide, is overrun by drug addicts who are living in tents and defecating and urinating on the sidewalk on your way to the park? Or would you rather live in a lower-income state, a poorer state, which doesn't, doesn't have as much gross domestic product as the state of California, but the streets are clean and the parks are clean and people are friendly and they treat each other well? I, the, the question answers itself when you point out that three years in a row now, the state of California has lost their population. People are leaving the state in droves. They're voting with their feet. They're getting the hell out. The entire house of cards is collapsing. And I don't say this with joy. I lived for over 20 years in the state of California. I loved what that state was. I hate what it's become. 877-381-3811. Earlier I asked, you know, does it bother you that Kevin McCarthy's gone? Everyone's exercised about the fact that Kevin McCarthy might be the speaker. People are freaking out about it. Can't happen. It can't happen. I, first of all, it's probably going to happen. And the congressmen who are standing in the way of it, Andy Biggs, good guy. I love interviewing him. He's a great interview. We agree on a lot politically. Uh, Matt Gates, same. They're trying to stand in the way of this. I don't know if they're doing that because they want to negotiate something for the Freedom Caucus or whether they, I, I don't know. I don't know. But what is the point at this point? One week away from the new House majority taking over, why is it a problem that Kevin McCarthy might be the speaker? Other than possibly those congressmen in particular, for one reason or another, uh, have an issue personally with Kevin McCarthy or vice versa. Maybe he has an issue with them. And yeah, if you're going to be the leader of the majority, you need to be able to make nice with everybody. I mean, we hand it to Nancy Pelosi. It's not like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has fond things to say about her, but she figured out a way. All right, I'll accommodate your insanity, but you got to toe the line and vote when I need you to vote. That's how it's done. McCarthy needs to do that. I'm sure he will. Julie in Vegas wants to jump in on Kevin McCarthy. Julie, does it bother you? I Honestly, I, it's, I'm not losing sleep over who's got the gavel, as long as it's a Republican. How about you? Uh, I see your point, but I think you're wrong, and I'll tell you why. So within a few days of, right before or after the election, I saw McCarthy on Fox, which I don't really watch anymore, and he's sitting there in his little square, and he said verbatim, yeah, we will not be impeaching Joe Biden. We've been just run roughshod as a country from Afghanistan through this Inflation Reduction Act that they renamed. The country is getting run roughshod, and we need a lion, not a sheep. This guy is from the Boehner Ryan milk toast. It's, it'd be like Romney trying to read the, lead the MAGA movement. There's no. The reason these guys are pissed off is because they want to do things, and we can go at them hard for two years. And if nothing else, we can have prime time investigations and committees and just unload on them for two straight years 
about everything that's gone on that there's been no accountability for, mm-hmm. to humiliate and embarrass and possibly investigate everybody from one up, down the other. And the whole point of McCarthy, when he comes on, he's... His cadence, his whole, I don't know what he is like personally. I really don't care. I want someone hardcore. And I yeah. think that's what why everybody's so pissed off. And he's not right. He's not the guy. And he's no, I, so... And Julia, yeah, and let, me, let, me, yeah. let me get in there. Let me get in there. Because I get that. I, I made that point. I recognize that. Listen, I, I don't know why people think that it's the role of the Speaker of the House to go on cable news and, and give a great segment. Or, or, you know, really lay into George Stephanopoulos, whatever. He's not good at that. Here, You know what I would love? I would love for Kevin. If Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker, fine, be speaker. Promise me you'll never be on television again. That's not your job. Your job is to run the majority in the House, period, and get things done. I, you're right. He's terrible on television. And, and horrible, horrible. But let me to the substance of it. You remember when Nancy Pelosi was about to be the speaker in 2018? She had won the midterms in 2018. She was going to be the speaker. And remember how she said, well, we're not planning on impeaching Donald Trump. She actually said that. She said, no, we're not going to impeach Donald Trump. She said the exact same thing, Julie. I, I honestly, it, it doesn't make a big difference. It may give you great satisfaction that Kevin McCarthy says, you bet your butt we're going to go out there and we're going to impeach Joe Biden right now. I don't care what he says on Hannity right now. What I care about is mm-hmm. a month in after we start investigating what's been going on in this administration, Kevin McCarthy then recognizes it, realizes and said, yeah, we're going to begin impeachment proceedings. But frankly, he has more credibility if he steps back and says, no, we don't have any plans to impeach Biden. And then a month into the investigation says, holy crap, we got to impeach this SOB. Yeah, I don't know for me. And, and I would I would actually appreciate if he would just stop because he he doesn't. He comes across as so passive, it makes my hair hurt. So if he did stop doing interviews and went, you know what, I'm just, I'll be the figurehead and I'm going to let you guys go. Let, yeah. Turn them See, loose. Yeah, turn Julie, I, exactly. That's what he needs that. to be. Yeah. And you remember Dennis yeah. Hassert? You remember Dennis So here's the thing. We've had some Republican speakers. We had Newt Gingrich. Was, Newt Gingrich was able to win the majority, get the gavel, run the House of Representatives, and give great television appearances. That's very rare. Dennis Hassert was Speaker of the Majority for the Republicans for many, many years. And I couldn't tell you one thing he said on television that was effective. Can you? No. And no. I remember him, but, like, I can't even – there's no visual. I can't, yeah. I can't tell you verbatim anything. Exactly. I just John Boehner. But I can quote Newt all day long. That's right. All day that's long. right. Like, yeah, but that's and I think that's the exception, not the rule. That's the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Julie, God bless you. Happy New Year. Thanks. I hope you get your impeachment. I want it, too. I do. Um, how about uh, B.W. in Texas talking about this immigration problem, the disaster that this administration has thrust on your state, B.W.? How do you fix it? Hey, Larry, thanks for taking the call. I, you know, how do we fix it when we get the GOP in there? And we will get back in there. I mean, eventually we'll get the executive branch. We'll have the House and the Senate. One day this turn around. They're going to have to put their new nads on the table. Yeah. <laughs> they, they typically, generally, do not get nasty. They don't want to play dirt, and and they've got to play hardball here. Yeah. And if they do not, we're going to lose this country. I mean, forty years now is the country better or worse? Forty years ago, yeah, when Reagan was in, it's worse. I got to tell you, I mean, it's uh, got to go. If there if there is one great legacy that Donald listen Donald Trump has left great legacies in the Republican Party if there's just one it's that we are never going back on the immigration issue again 
That was because we were we were mealy mouthed, and we had. I even remember when John McCain was right. He was being challenged for his Senate seat in Arizona by uh, uh, from the right. And he ran an ad saying, "Yeah, we got to build 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 the damn wall. We got to protect our border. We got rapists and drug dealers coming in here, right?" That was, I think, in twenty ten, when John McCain was running. And uh, it, and, and, but then, but then, as soon as you get into office, you don't do anything about it, right? That's what McCain was all about. Sadly, you know, you say what you got to say to win the election, and then once you're in, you got six more years of not doing what you said you were going to do. I think those days are gone for the Republicans. Maybe I'm naive. But I think that too many, too many leaders of the party, from your Governor Abbott to DeSantis to great senators like Hawley and Cruz across the board in Congress, and, and anybody running for president right now, this time along, who has any kind of shot, has got to toe the Trump line on immigration. And thank God we've done that. Because we, we now, you want if there's one thing the Republican Party can stand for right now, it's doing something about the border. Yes, and on a sidebar, the reason they're leaving California is they want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not a gutter. They don't want to live in a gutter. Yeah, how, how many of those Californians are your, your your new neighbors there, BW, in Texas? Oh, man, look, you know you know, Austin's been take, taken over. You know it's been taken over. Yeah, so, yeah see, that's the we, key. You know, that's where I'm at with it. These got, Californians that go to Texas and Florida and Arizona and, and they're going up to Idaho as well and Utah, they got to act like the refugees that they are and not missionaries. See, they're not, they're not, they're not there to spread the gospel of leftism from California and convert the people who live in those states. They're refugees who are seeking asylum. B.W., thank you, man. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Jane in Saratoga, New York. Hey, Saratoga. Got to love that. Hey, Jane. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Hi. uh, This gentleman who just called is so right. I mean, you know, Dems, people have to face the fact. Dems are recruiting voters, basically. Um, The guy, Matt, who called. A lot of Californians live in denial. I have friends uh, who moved to San Francisco. They were not wealthy people. After the first year, they went out for a walk one day in sandals, got stuck in the foot by a needle, and now they're very ill. Uh. As far as New York goes, which is where, sadly, I live, Mm -hmm. Governor Hochul is the biggest loser God ever put on the face of the earth. Buffalo has been rough for years and years. I remember like six years ago, they had a really serious snowstorm. They had authorities come out. People, we were backed up, probably 20 cars back. They checked each car. There were two huge motels, and there still are, at the exit. As you get out, they started taking people to motel rooms. They got them in safe places. Mm-hmm. Hochul did nothing with this last snowstorm. She let it happen. There are. I was going to go shopping one day, and my friends in Buffalo said, oh, no, 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 don't go into downtown all by yourself, because there are gangs that have clubhouses all along Main Street. And in it's Buffalo. Been that, in Buffalo. Unbelievable. It's been that way for a long, long time. Yeah. And they had a where I'm well, sorry, I'm trying to make this quick. No, it's all right, um, Jane. But I guess I, the, the reinforcement of the point here is same things happen in New York that happened in California. You you lost, what, absolutely. one or two congressional seats. You're losing your population, yeah. too. 
Absolutely. You're yeah, losing all your of my friends are moving away. I mean, my yeah. husband just died, and I'm really thinking, hmm, maybe I don't want to stay here. And it, it's sad because uh, it's, it's sad. And she's doing nothing. Hochul does nothing to help the people. She You're knows right. but, darn but, good and well. But she won re-election. And that's, you know, I mean, exactly. that, listen. And you know what else? At the last primary, I went to vote when Hochul was going to be in or out. Mm-hmm. My entire voter registration had been changed. They had me down as a Democrat. I didn't wow. get to vote because they couldn't change it. Wow. You couldn't so, even do a provisional. Unbelievable. Oh, because yep. it was a primary. Yeah. All right, yep. Jane, we got to leave it. A happy New Year to you. And I'm sorry about the loss of your husband. Thank you so I much. I am. Okay. You bet. Bye-bye. You know, it's interesting what she points out. This is, you know, from the people leaving California, people leaving New York, people coming to Texas and all those other states, what we're seeing right now in this country is a sorting. People are sorting themselves. This is one great thing that technology has brought to us, too. Because of COVID-19, if there's one upside of this, corporations and individuals all learned this one lesson. You can work for the most part, for most jobs, many jobs. You can work anywhere in this country. You don't have to be in the same city that your company is in necessarily. And and by the way, if for some reason your company says, nope, you got you got to stay here. You can't work remote. You can't move to Florida and, and do your job from here. The market is such that people are deciding, yeah, you know what, then I'll find another job because life is too short and things are more important. I have a friend who works in radio who worked for a major city. He was, he was doing a radio show on a major city in the East Coast, and he couldn't take it anymore for his family, for his wife. I cannot live in this in this environment anymore. I got to get away from the left. I've got to get back to my roots in the Midwest. Thankfully, his company actually said, "You know what? Listen, we still like you on our show. We still like you doing the radio on our program. You're okay. Go for it. Move back to where you need to live, so you can have quality of life. You can go back to your church. You can go back with your family and raise your kids in the environment you want to raise them in. We'll keep you on the air here in the city because technically, in radio, you can do that now. That's new. That used to cost so much money." to have to connect from a remote location. Not anymore. It's a, it's a great advancement. And so so people are doing that. And, and Or they're willing to say, listen, if you've got to fire me, you've got to fire me. But this is more important now. And we are seeing the great sorting in this country, the self-sorting of Americans who are, the, who are deliberately saying, I choose not to live there anymore. I choose to live in this state instead. It better reflects my values and my principles and what I want out of this life as an American. Our founders would be deliriously happy. 877-381-3811. It's Larry O'Connor in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Tired of overpaying woke wireless companies? How about this? Get talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Yes, on the same network, the same towers, with the same coverage as the other guys, but for half the price. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Hallelujah. Friends, this is great news. You can start saving today without having to sacrifice on coverage. How do I know? I'm a customer. Plus, listen to all the other benefits you get. A U.S.-based customer service team to make your switch even easier. You're supporting a veteran-owned business. And here's the best part. When you go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, 
you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's right. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, podcast, and you can be switched over in as little as 10 minutes. Switch to a company that shares your values. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVIN, podcast, to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. I do want to talk about this Southwest thing. I think there's something to be learned about what's happened with Southwest Airlines and how they've got this uh, unbelievable debacle. A viral uh, posting on Facebook from a Facebook from a uh, Southwest pilot actually really resonates on this. You may have seen it. And when I say viral, it's like everywhere. We're going to talk about that coming up in a bit. I, I mentioned that I'm in Oklahoma right now. And, uh, and yes, I, I believe the Oklahoma Sooners are actually playing a football game right now against Florida State. So, you know, I'm the only one not watching in the entire state of Oklahoma. But I, something, I noticed something here that maybe it all can help me. There's a lot of Texans listening, Oklahomans, other Midwest. I, I think this is an Oklahoma-Texas thing, though. But I've been here a week now, heading back to D.C. for tomorrow. Um, what's the deal with putting the wrong emphasis on the syllable? The, it, multiple words over and over and over and over and over again. Oklahomans put the emphasis on the first syllable. L- ins- insurance. The word is insurance. But I'm hearing constant discussion of insurance. Uh, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Everyone in America celebrated Thanksgiving, but not here in Oklahoma. It was Thanksgiving. If you get pulled over by the cops, you have to talk to the police, not the police. Stop it, everyone. Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. You can find me back. You know, I don't. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at the filling in thing. I, I I realize that when I've got the great platform and microphone of the incredible Mark Levin, the, the best in our business, 
uh, you're supposed to promote yourself and tell everybody, here's how you can find me, and here's how you can follow me, and here's how you can you know, subscribe to me, and here's how you can you – know, I, I haven't done that. I've wasted two hours here talking about stuff going on in the world and your opinions and my opinions and how Oklahomans always put the emphasis on the first syllable, and I haven't told you where to find me. Uh, you can find me on all the usual social media places, Larry O'Connor. Um, and I also have a, a YouTube channel, uh, O'Connor Tonight, which is the same name as my television show. I have a primetime show on Salem News Channel. A lot of you listening to me right now on Salem uh, radio stations. Uh, they have a news channel. Uh, my colleagues, uh, uh, Seb Gorka and Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager and uh, Hugh Hewitt uh, and uh, Andrew Wilkow. Uh, we all have uh, television programs there on the station. Mine's a primetime nightly show at 9 p.m., so you can catch that live or you can catch it on demand, streaming at Salem News Channel. I think that's everything. That's all the things I should tell you about. And uh, and I, I, my kids don't sell Girl Scout cookies, so no worries there. I'm not going to corner you with that. But I am Larry O'Connor. I do the morning show on WMAL in Washington, D.C. Mark Levin station there. Not only is he on that station, it has been from the beginning, 6 to 9 Eastern, but he uh, also lives in the area, Northern Virginia. And so I get to be his morning show, which has uh, built a, a remarkable uh, relationship that I treasure so much for the 10 years that I've lived in that area. An incredibly supportive man, uh, Mark Levin is, and I, I owe him so much. And I am always honored to be able to fill in for him. It's it's truly a great, great time in my life when I'm able to do that. So thank you, Mark. And uh, Happy New Year to you and to Julie and to the whole family. Uh, I'm, I mentioned I'm in Oklahoma. I'm heading back, heading back to D.C. tomorrow after a week here for Christmas and New Year's with my in-laws. And I am not flying Southwest. I'm flying American. If anybody out there has been stranded or affected by the Southwest thing in a horrible way, if you work for Southwest, I'd love for you to chime in at 877-381-3811. I have flown Southwest before. And I, I always have a hunch that the flight attendants and the pilots are conservative. I don't know why. I just always, I get the vibe. I get the vibe. And, it, you know, it's Texas-based company. Uh, I believe Mr. Kelleher was uh, a conservative. He seemed that way. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know. You know, I, I, I always want to think that people are conservative if they got their, their act together, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I think Herb Kelleher was a conservative. He sure seemed like it. He loved America, that's for sure the former CEO of Southwest, the founder of Southwest, co-founder, who passed away several years ago in 2019. And uh, this this debacle for Southwest, I think, is indicative of a lot of problems with major corporations when a new generation of CEOs take over. Uh, we can see it with Disney, by the way. We can see it with, uh, you saw it with Apple at one point, and I think you're seeing it with Apple again with their current CEO, where you have a visionary like Herb Kelleher, like Steve Jobs, like Walt Disney, and frankly, after him, it wasn't until Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg where you actually had visionaries back in charge of Disney, where you had people who had a passion for the product that the company made. And then they go away for one reason or another, sometimes because they, they die or retire or move on. Sometimes there's a hostile takeover by investors who want to go in another direction. And then they put somebody in place that doesn't have that love for the product. 
they don't even understand the product that the company sells. Wall Street would have you believe that the product doesn't matter. The people with MBAs coming out of your Ivy League schools will have you believe that knowledge of the actual end product is superfluous to running a good company. That there's some sort of mold or cookie cutter that you can just put in place. And in a- Apple is the perfect example. You know, they get rid of Steve Jobs. They put in a guy whose claim to fame was running Pepsi. Yeah, you know, same thing. It doesn't matter. It's a consumer product. You can sell a soft drink for, you know, at the time, probably 75 cents. Or you can sell a $1,500 personal computer. It's really ultimately the same business. That's, that's the mindset. That's the mentality. And there's this Facebook post by a uh, self-described pilot of over 30 years with Southwest, Larry Lanero. And he highlights the fact that this entire debacle at Southwest ultimately can directly be linked to their choice in CEO, which they, they, which is what companies always do. You have this great, brilliant mind like Herb Kelleher, who was a visionary who started Southwest, put this thing together to be one of the most profitable and popular airlines in the country with consistently annual top ratings from their passengers, from their customers, and from their employees. You, you know, back in the day, if you, I, don't, I don't fly Southwest anymore. I'll explain that coming up in a bit. But back in the day when I used to fly Southwest, and a lot of people would fly Southwest, back in the heyday, 15, 20 years ago, when they were really growing, when they were really building, putting together all of these routes, Kelleher was he's a visionary. And you always could tell that the people who worked for that airline loved working for that airline, right? Didn't you always have that sense when you were sitting in their planes? It was just different. And this Facebook post from this Larry Lanero, it, it reflects that. He says, Herb Kelleher, was, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Brilliant CEO of Southwest Airlines until 2004. He was a very operationally oriented leader. Herb spent lots of time on the front line. He always had his pulse on the day-to-day operation and the people who ran it. That philosophy flowed down through the ranks of leadership to the frontline managers. We were a tight operation from top to bottom. We had tools, leadership, and employee buy-in. Everything that was needed to run a first-class operation when Herb retired in 2004, Gary Kelly became the new CEO. Gary was an accountant by education. His style leading Southwest Airlines became more focused on finances and less on operations. He did not spend much time on the front lines. He didn't engage frontline employees much. When the CEO doesn't get out in the trenches, neither do the lower levels of leadership. Gary named another accountant to be chief operating officer. This is the person for responsible for day-to-day operations. The new COO had little or no operational background. This trickled down through the lower levels of leadership as well. That's a, these accountants, these business people, these MBAs who actually don't do it, who don't even understand the business they're in or the product they're selling, they end up being charred in charge of the operations, and then they hire more people like themselves to be middle management and upper management. And ultimately, you've got a bunch of management people, a bunch of people who, who know the philosophies of running a business but don't know anything about the customers, the employees who actually make the business run. And this is exactly what we saw in stuff. This is exactly what we've seen at Disney. You've got people running Disney who have never told a story in their life. 
Think about that for a minute. You want to know why Disney has gone woke and why they they don't seem to care about their customers and they they you know people have, they just had to get rid of their CEO and bring in Bob. I, I don't think Bob Iger is much better. When they brought in Michael Eisner, he came from Paramount Studios. He had produced films. He had worked with directors. He had worked with actors. He had worked with writers. He understood the creative process. He brought in Jeffrey Katzenberg the same way. How do you run Disney and never actually go about doing the work of telling a story at any time in your professional life? Without ever actually having to entertain an audience. And you see this in so many other industries in our country where Wall Street ends up running the day, where it's all about how the balance sheet looks. And listen, I'm not naive. I understand you have to run a business. But you've got nobody in the upper management structure who actually understands the industry that you're in, that the entire bottom line is the bottom line. And, here, and here's the, the irony of all of it. When Herb Kelleher was the CEO of Southwest, and he was a, you know, he was an operations guy, he was a front line guy. He knew a ton of the pilots by their first names. He knew the people. He would show up at the airports and watch the operations and talk to the employees and try to fix things because he had a passion for running an airline. Guess what? The stock was never healthier. As soon as you say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna really work on the balance sheet, we're gonna work on the finances, we're gonna work on our dividends, and we're gonna make sure that the stocks are happy," then your business falls off. That's the irony. Make a great product, keep your customer happy. The rest takes care of itself. Why else are you in business? And you see it. I could see it. I I, I could I could take a shot at some of the radio companies out there where they end up with the same thing. You've got people who start radio companies with a passion for radio, with a passion for spoken word or music, entertainment and content. They get gobbled up by a big corporation that's run by someone who has no idea what business they're in. And ultimately, it shows. And you look in the management structure and you find where's the person who has a passion for communicating ideas on the air? Where's the person in the upper management structure who actually at one point in their career actually had to turn on a microphone and fill dead air and speak to tens if not hundreds of thousands of people without a net, without a script? Nowhere. In most of the major radio companies or spoken word audio companies, podcast companies, whatever you want to call them, they don't actually have anybody in the upper echelon of their management making decisions, dictating to people who actually do the job, dictating to them how they're supposed to carry out their function when they've never done it themselves. And you look at Southwest Airlines, and, and tragically, what happened here with Southwest is what made Southwest great is ended, ended up being its biggest failing, it appears. Southwest was able to have so many flights within a 24-hour period because they didn't do the same basic sort of central hub model that the other airlines do. For instance, I fly American all the time. That's my airline. And, and, and I can criticize American as much as the next guy, all right? There's also things I like about American. That's the beauty of having choice in this country. There's other airlines. Other people swear by Delta. Other people swear by United. Fine. Go with God. All right? American ends up being my choice. 
I live in D.C. I fly to L.A. a lot to see my children. I have two kids still living in L.A. County. I've got two kids who are adults now. Uh, they're not in school anymore. Or they're long story. Anyway, when I go back and see my kids who are still in high school, I've got a choice flying out of L.A. Or excuse me, flying out of D.C. If I don't get a nonstop, I'm going to be flying through either Charlotte, Dallas, or Chicago. And that route, that flight that I take, there are constant round-trip flights to Chicago, back and forth, D.C., Chicago, D.C., Chicago, D.C., Chicago, right? You go to the hub, that crew goes back to D.C., right? I switch to a plane that's going Chicago to L.A. That crew just does Chicago, L.A., Chicago, L.A. They're either in Chicago or they're in L.A. For the most part, listen, I know if you're in the industry, there are some exceptions to this, but for the most part, that's how most airlines work. You got constant round trips from cities to the hubs. You go to the hub, you switch planes, and you go from that hub to the eventual destination. Southwest doesn't do that. Southwest connects point-to-point flights all the way across the country. So you could leave D.C., fly to Chicago, then fly to Denver, then fly to L.A. And it's not constant. That plane does that route. It's not the back-and-forth, back-and-forth switching planes. Now, that was, very, that, that was a strength for Southwest because there were so many flights going all over the place every day, and they could cram them into a 24-hour period because you didn't have to worry about all the round trips and all the changeover of the staff and all that stuff. And you could map it all out together. As long as everything's working right and everything's going right, it's a great system, and it works, except when you've got a blizzard and you've got a couple of those cities that shut down. And when you've got a staffing problem in Denver, where, where, where you have to refuel a ton of your flights, and suddenly you've got, a, you've got a breakdown in the system. And suddenly the problem is that now because of this deep freeze, because of the blizzard, because of the Arctic blast, we've got all these flights that had to be canceled. If you're, if you're working on the American or United or Delta model where you've got all these hubs, that's fine because your crews are either in City A or City B. And you can restaff them now. Okay, we skipped that flight. We canceled that flight. But the staff is there. The crew is there. And now they can pick up a flight seven hours later. Not so with Southwest. They don't have their crew sitting at hubs. They've got a crew in Portland right now that was expected to be in Tulsa. And now you've got no crew in Tulsa to pick up the next flight because they're stranded in Portland or what have you. So what made Southwest strong ultimately led to this disaster, it appears. And apparently, flags were raised, cautions were put out there, the people who understand the business said, hey, we've got a big problem. This is all going to come tumbling down. And the management of the company, the leadership of the company, they don't understand the fundamental business they're in. And they lost touch. And I bet if you work for a major corporation right now, this sounds a little familiar. And in some cases, it feels like we're living through the first eight chapters of Atlas Shrugged as our infrastructure continues to come. Hey, remember when Biden was going to fix our infrastructure? By the way, where's our transportation secretary through all this? Ah, I'm so glad the grown-ups are back in charge. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin, 877-381-3811. Mark Levin.
Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. Gotta love Mark Levin. Honestly, I always feel bad at this moment. See, like you were just listening through the news break. Maybe you just got into the car. You turn on the radio. Say, all right, I get a half an hour of Levin on my way home, and then uh, and then you hear me. I always feel bad because I know what it feels like. I've been exactly where you are right now. Oh, it's a guest host. Oh, well, all right. I don't begrudge Mark taking some time off, but ah, do we really have to hear a guest host? All right. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm not that bad. I'm Larry O'Connor. I do the morning show on WMAL in Washington, D.C. I used to do mid-mornings on KBC in Los Angeles, so I've I've done radio in both of those cities. Uh, I used to work with Andrew Breitbart back in the day. Andrew himself actually rescued me from my old career and put me on path for this career. Uh, You would recommend Here's the thing, though. Unlike most radio talk show hosts, I'm not a gym rat. I don't, I don't, I don't go to the gym. That's my New Year's resolution. I got to start, I got to start lifting again. I got to start getting, you know, uh, in shape. I got to get fit. I'm I'm shocked. What's the deal with all these talk radio hosts who are suddenly like, you know, sporting guns and they're like, they're like, so talk radio hosts are supposed to be pasty, flabby dudes with, you know, barely see the sun, right? We all, (laughs) suddenly I've seen these talk radio hosts who are like, you know, buff looking tan like they're you know out in the sun all the time it's like that how who are these talk radio hosts who actually have lives able to do that you know who i'm talking about right they're pumping iron all the time they're muscle bound they're they're talk about our right to bear arms they are they are sporting the guns right like uh like for instance ben shapiro look at that guy's amazing he is he is racked so i'm gonna start doing that I'm not like that, but I am getting there. Uh, great uh, response. I do like uh, going to Twitter during the show. I look at my social media. Haven't mentioned it. Follow me at Larry O'Connor on Twitter. Tommy makes a great point here. Tommy says on Twitter that I was talking about how you get people in charge of a corporation, charge of a company who don't understand their product. They don't even think they like their product, frankly. They even understand the product that they're selling. Uh, I said that about Southwest, and I, I used examples like Disney and Apple, and, and, and yes, even the radio business. Tommy makes a great point out of the NFL. Look at the NFL. They're, they're, they're all focused on the wrong things. They're focused on being woke. They're focused on uh, accommodating. You know, The commissioner of the NFL and the people who run the NFL, and it filters down to the ownership and the general management and to the head coaches, they want to accommodate the op-ed writers at the New York Times more than they would on a com- want to accommodate you. When you sit down with a cold beer to watch a game on a Sunday. That's why the game is where it is. I still love football. I love college football a lot more than the NFL. But they're ruining it because sometimes I think Roger Goodell doesn't even like football. But it's a great point from Tommy on Twitter. 877-381-3811. By the way, real fast college football, speaking of that, I'm originally from Michigan. This Saturday is going to be a pretty important game. I'm sorry if you're back in the uh, horn toads of TCU. I think Michigan is going to win this game. And Michigan is now finally, finally, after all these years. Last time Michigan won the national championship, 1997, Rose Bowl. Brian Greasy quarterback against Ryan Leaf, of all people, Washington State Cougars. I was there. Saw that game. And now the national champion is going to be in, in L.A. I'm almost tempted to go back for that game. Once again, it'll be in Southern California where Michigan last won the national championship. If Michigan beats TCU, and I'm not taking it for granted, it's going to be a great game. If Michigan is able to win that, we're going to have a great national championship if you like college football. It's either going to be Michigan versus Georgia, the two undefeated 
college football programs, which is really how it should be, right? Uh, and and Georgia, the, the reigning champions, and they beat Michigan last year in the playoffs. So you're either having a rematch of Georgia-Michigan, both undefeated teams for the national championship, or you've got a rematch of Michigan-Ohio State, where Michigan could actually have the glorious pleasure of beating Ohio State three times in a 13-month span. How beautiful would that be if you're a Michigan fan? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I say Michigan beating Ohio State three times in a 13-month span? I apologize. I know I just offended a lot of Buckeye fans. Let me, let me restate it. Michigan beating the Ohio State University three times in 13 months. That would be glorious. All right, enough of the sports. 877-381-3811. Go blue. Uh, I've got uh, Irvin in Louisiana, where they know a little bit about college football down there as well. Irvin, thanks for calling into the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. I really want you to make this point. I think it's an interesting one. Go for it. Well, first of all, I want to wish our country a better 23 than the last three years with COVID, infrastructure, supply chain, and the border. So hopefully we do better in the upcoming year. Amen, Irvin. I'm a Trump supporter, but sometimes you got to change quarterbacks or coaches. Let's look at the election of 2020 and recent 2022. What happened? We lost our share of the independent voters and the college-educated suburban women. As a result, we lost our share of the Rust Belt, the Midwest, and we need Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Pennsylvania, if we're going to make a run at the Senate and the presidential election. Now, we can waste time focusing on impeaching Biden, and we're going to find out what Nancy found out twice. It's going to get to the Senate and drop dead. And we can waste time on Hunter what we should do is take him to the courts like they're doing Trump, go for tax evasion, and then we'll hurt him. But the common people, the common Jane and Joe in Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Pennsylvania, do not care about that. It doesn't reflect on what they need. What they're looking at is border control, inflation, the economy, yeah. supply chain. Things that touch their lives every day. Now, the last thing I'll say yeah. is we can grandstand and go up against Biden and Hunter, and that will make Florida, Texas, most of the South, and other conservative states jump with joy and glee. But it's not going to win back the states that we need and the people that we need to join us to turn this back all right let me let me let me respond to some of the things he said. i think it's very well thought out and, and i and i really wanted to have this out here for people to hear because i think you reflect what you just articulated reflects what a lot of people believe and i agree i 100 percent believe that you are a trump supporter all right and and, and uh, for all the people who say well if you really support trump then you wouldn't criticize him it, i'm sorry you're you don't have a brain between your ears if you can't criticize a politician when they're when they're in the wrong all right you you can support somebody and still recognize when they're missing the boat on something and that doesn't mean you're a traitor or treason or any of that stuff all right so let me push back a little bit though urban you're right we lost where we should have won in many places in 2022 
Why do you think that's a direct reflection of Trump? Okay, he started losing me with the two to 4 a.m. tweets. That's not presidential. Uh, that's nitpicky, you know, going after individuals. You go after John McCain, who is like a superstar in Arizona as a war hero, and say he's a loser yeah. because he was captured. Okay, you know, well, that was – okay, so hold on, Irvin. Irvin, now you're all over the map because he said that – during the 2016 election and he still won so again let me let me get you to focus what in this year in 2022 leading up to the election we just had two months ago what about the republicans failure to win decisively is trump's fault whether it's trump's fault or not they're going to push january 6th down our throat all right and again uh, the other thing is that we appear appears to be tax evasion. Look, if your taxes are square, release them like the other presidents did. You know, well, why, are you, why did you fight? It's the same thing with right. Obama when he was born in Hawaii. Show your birth certificate and shut everybody down. Irvin, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I do. But now, now we're like, you know, again, when, when you make an assertion, you got to be able to defend the assertion instead of just shifting and going to the next assertion. All right. But but he said something here that I think actually he didn't mean to, but he actually he made an argument just now that I believe actually makes the case for impeaching Joe Biden. He correctly said they're going to hang January 6th around our necks forever. All right. Uh, it, it's, it's a scam. It's a charade. Everyone knows it. That wasn't a real committee. There was no cross-examination of any of the witnesses. There was no minority voice represented. It was a complete setup, and they literally came up with nothing new than we knew on January 7th. All right? Literally nothing. There was nothing that was revealed in the January 6th committee that hadn't been revealed in the scam impeachment of Trump in his final days as president. And I would like actually there to be a true investigation as to what Nancy Pelosi knew before January 6th. What were the communications about added security and added police personnel? Why was the decision made not to have National Guard there? I would like people to answer those questions. I would like the police officers from the Capitol Police to be back up on the witness stand, to, or excuse me, in the uh, in the witness chair for the, the committee hearing under oath, answering challenging questions instead of answering questions like, oh, will you ever get over January 6th? Or how, how, how do you face each day knowing what happened that day? Those aren't questions for, uh, to get to the truth about what happened that day. I want to know from the police officers why on the, on the uh, uh, north side of the Capitol we had police officers engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat with people trying to prevent them from coming into the Capitol and windows being broken. And on the south side of the Capitol, we had police officers opening the door saying, come on in, Grandma, everything's fine. Oh, you're going to get arrested and rot in jail for the next two years of your life? But sure, here, we'll open the door for you. Don't you want answers to those questions? I want answers to those questions. But what Urban said about them, they're, they're going to hang January 6th on our necks forever. You're right. They think this is a political liability for Republicans. And every Republican in the House of Representatives and Senate, and any Republican who's running for office, has to answer the basic question about January 6th, whether they were in favor of it or whether they were responsible for it or whether they think Trump should be condemned for egging people on it, all that stuff. That's, that's what the narrative is, right? And the reason is 
is because the Democrats in the House, with their help of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, two other Democrats, and they will be within the next two years, they set the narrative and they made the case that this was such an atrocity and it was such a violation of the sensibilities of the American people that anyone running for office must answer the basic question of where they stand on what happened on January 6th. That's politics. You may not like it. That's politics. And that's exactly why Biden should be impeached. That's exactly why Biden should be impeached. That's exactly why the Hunter Biden laptop should be fully investigated. Not because of Hunter Biden, but because of Joe Biden. Because of the money that he and his family has been able to make through his name, through his dealings overseas. Because here's what happens. You do the hearing, and you get the evidence out, and you you put the facts out there, and Democrats, every single Democrat in the House and Senate, they have to make a choice. Do I defend this, or do I keep my mouth shut? Do I defend this? Or do I cross the aisle and say, oh, my gosh, I can't defend this? All right. What politician in America wants to defend the actions of Hunter Biden right now? Have you seen what's on that laptop? What politician in America right now wants to look at what's going on in the Hunter Biden laptop, the connections, the paper trail, the Tony Bobulinski interviews that have been given to Tucker Carlson that will soon be sworn under oath in a committee hearing in the House of Representatives? What politician wants to say everything's fine here, this is business as usual, no problem, we see nothing wrong? Because that's what every Democrat will be forced to do. Everybody, well, well, the, the impeachment's just going to die in the Senate. Impeaching Joe Biden isn't about impeaching Joe Biden. Start playing politics the way Democrats do. Impeaching Donald Trump wasn't about impeaching Donald Trump. It was forcing every Republican to either defend Donald Trump or vote against Donald Trump. It's a lose-lose scenario for Republicans. If you defend Donald Trump, then you become a pariah to many voters in this country. If you turn on Donald Trump and vote against him, then you're violating not only the leader of your party and your president, but you're also violating a lot of the voters in your base. Play that game against the Democrats. But we're going to have a committee hearing where you're going to have Democrats, unlike the J6 committee that wasn't a committee, you're going to have Democrats sitting on that panel right next to Jim Jordan defending Hunter Biden, defending Joe Biden, defending the relationship with China, defending the money and the influence. You're going to put Democrats in a position where they have to say, yes, this is fine, nothing wrong business as usual we approve i don't care if it dies in the senate you make them stand up and say everything's fine with everything that was going on with the biden family and hunter biden but yet don't wait for cnn to do it don't wait for george stephanopoulos to do it you've got to do it and that's exactly what they're going to do that's exactly what James Comer of Kentucky in the Oversight Committee and Jim Jordan of Ohio in the Judiciary Committee is going to do. It's the minimum of what they should do. All, all these, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at Republican and conservative commentators on television, on cable news, on talk radio, who always say, you know, say what you will about Nancy Pelosi, but you know, she's a great leader. Say what you will. I don't like Nancy Pelosi, but she's a great politician. You hear that all the time, right? She's got great political skills. Well, instead of just sitting back in awe at the great wonder of Nancy Pelosi's political skills, how about you actually 
do what she does. She knew that the... I'm sorry, Irvin, I, I, in Louisiana. I know you were making a point when you said Nancy Pelosi is going to learn a big lesson that that impeachment is going to die in the Senate. You think Nancy Pelosi cared about that? She had her photo op with her souvenir pens, and she walked the impeachment papers to the Senate, and the House did their job, and they held Trump accountable, and she got she put the Republicans exactly where she wanted to put the Republicans. You own Trump, or you condemn him. And now that's exactly what Democrats need to do with Biden. I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Listen, I, I want you all to have a great new year. I want you to, just as Irvin said, let's let's let the last couple of years go by. Everything changes in the House starting day one. I know it's a small majority. I know you don't like who's going to be speaker. I don't care. Look at the committees. Look at the investigations. Watch what happens. It's going to be huge. It's going to be important. And we're going to do the first steps now to take this country back. Happy New Year. I'm Larry O'Connor, in for the great one, Mark Levin.